Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode with Ted Taylor, president of Sportech. We talk about the efforts to legalize sports betting here in Connecticut, covering everything from obstacles to getting legislation passed, what this legislation might look like, how Sportech is equipped to get up and running once legalized, and more. And now to my conversation with Sportech's Ted Taylor. So Ted, I, I guess to get started on this topic, for, for those who might not be familiar with you uh, in Sportech, why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself and the organization? Sportech uh, basically is a, is a UK public company. We bought this business, um, which was uh, what you would call off-track betting, um, 11 years ago when I moved over here at the time. Uh, having previously uh, uh, run a, a large uh, betting business in the UK, amongst other things. I'm an ex-Navy guy who uh, went into operations, ended up running uh, horse race courses, so racetracks, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and now I, I uh, run this business here based in uh, New Haven. And uh, we're all kind of down in the, uh, you know, the big uh, round building as you get to the bottom of 91 and junction with 95. Absolutely. Very familiar with, with that building. I've got you on today to talk about the legalization process of, of sports betting here in Connecticut and the steps that are being taken. I, I know this effort's been ongoing for a couple of years. Uh, what has this process been like for you around advocating for legalized sports betting here in Connecticut? Yeah, I, I suppose uh, fair to say it's taken a little longer than we expected. You know, um, back back in the day for us, uh, 11, 12 years ago, when we first started looking at uh, the business, we, we, you know, we'd fairly obviously hoped that the federal law might change because for a long time now, everybody's known that the, there's, a, there's a proliferation of illegal gambling opportunities, which, you know, made it likely that somebody would start to look at it to keep, you know, revenue and taxes within states legally. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we we, uh, we we would like to think that we've made some progress this year because it's it's taken a little bit longer than it could have done. If you look at multiple other states that have, have got it done uh, more quickly, and uh, you know, including adjacent states. So, uh, you know, uh, we, we think it's uh, it's about time now, really. I, I agreed there, and you know, when when it was announced that that sports betting could be legalized in different states, I thought for sure Connecticut would be one of those states, just given all the infrastructure and organizations we have within this state, to to be one of the first and one of the leaders in it. But unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. What have been some of the biggest challenges and obstacles that have come with trying to get legalized sports betting passed here in the state? Oh, look, I, th- I think the biggest challenge really continues to be an argument um, about you know, what's called exclusivity. And, uh, you know, put most simply, we believe that, you know, that's, uh, it's for those rights to any exclusivity are owned by the state of Connecticut. You know, back in the 90s, when the agreements with the tribes were being crafted, you know, your previous lawyers, legislators, government officials, they did a great job in making sure that it was left to their successors should the opportunity ever arise federally to decide who gets the rights to sports betting, um, you know it's it, it's uh, you know it's it's an ongoing argument. Um, we uh, we are firm in our belief, based on all legal opinion, that the, the rights belong to the state to determine 
what happens with it. And, you know, we want to be one of the partners of the state to deliver it. I know in these negotiations, we, we've heard so much about the tribes and their level of engagement. And again, tying back to that exclusivity, would you say that, that you and Sportech uh, and some of the other partners that the state is looking into have been as engaged with leaders in negotiations uh, as the tribes? Or is, again, that, that kind of the sticking point right now? Um, look, in, in fairness, uh, we probably don't engage with the uh, the, the states on um, quite the same level. Uh, that's understandable. We're not a sovereign nation, and we're a much smaller company. Uh, but we've definitely been heard by legislators, committees, and the government generally. Um, you know, we feel very strongly about this, so we've made an effort to do that, and, uh, you know, people have engaged with us. You know, as I said, we're a smaller business, but, you know, we're a business. We've invested considerable sums here. Our people, our jobs, our investment, they're all just as important throughout the state um, as, as anybody else's investment and people. Are you surprised with how quickly some of the surrounding states around here in Connecticut have been able to get sports betting passed and up and running? Well, I mean, in terms of the immediately surrounding states, you know, uh, Rhode Island has done it in a slightly strange way, for want of a better word. Massachusetts is a little behind, or, or rather the same as us. New York has only really done it in some uh, some upstate casinos. So, uh, you know, those are the immediately adjacent. Jersey has done it real quick, really well, um, very successfully using its existing, you know, businesses, employees. It's worked really well down there. So it's kind of a good example now. You know, and, and when I'm looking at all the figures, you kind of, uh, you know, when you're doing educated guesswork as a, as a business guy, you have to look at the best examples that you can find. And, and New Jersey's the best one. They, they've gone with, you know, a, a legal solution that gave it to the existing operators and spread it around to provide great competition that is good for the customers um, and protects uh, jobs and investment and existing employees. So, um, you know, and, and then the next stage of it will be for us, uh, you know, if we can get this done ahead of, Massachusetts and New York in a in a, an online and a retail environment, it gives us that um, you know decent start that we need against them. Because what we do find already, because we've got a long established and successful off track betting market, is that people will travel for a decent environment to to entertain themselves and place their bets. So in particular, we find people coming over the border into uh, Windsor Locks, where we've got a huge place, which is a winners and a bees. And the same down in Stanford. Um, you know, we built a spectacular place down there, which is, again, you know, two floors, and it's a body bees, and then it's a, a winner's, and people drive to go to those places. That's great for the state. One thing I want to dive a little more into, and it was something you mentioned in the answer there, was about competition and that benefiting the customer. How does having multiple vendors in, in this situation benefit the customer in terms of that competition? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, fairly obviously, we'd all love a monopoly, um, but you know, uh, you know that that doesn't happen these days. Um, and uh, you know, so so what we've done is we've looked at this sensibly and then said that look, what we believe is best for the state is to use its existing operators, and you you have to call that four existing partners of the state. That's the two tribal casinos, ourselves, and the lottery. And you know, between us, I think the lottery was. Uh, 72, off-track was 76, the tribal casinos were in the early 90s. Since then, they've all had exclusivity in their own lanes. You know, so, you know, what they do, that's what they have exclusivity in. Um, 
And uh, the, the, the having a few operators, what it does is this. So let's say um, uh, you want to place a bet on the, uh, the Buccaneers to win in the Super Bowl. What you can do is you can have a look at the odds I'm offering and the odds that uh, Mahid himself boxes are operating. And you will pick the best one, okay, because you want the best price. It's literally exactly the same as what we do now is, you know, sadly for the local bricks and mortar retail market, we look online and we have a look at Amazon or eBay or whatever. And, okay, if I can get this thing for $5 less with delivery included, and it's the same, I'm going to buy it there. And that's what price shopping is all about. People will look around. And that's good, you know, so that's good for, for, for everybody. It, it kind of keeps the operators honest. They can't have a monopoly. They can't bully people into taking all that they will offer. Um, um, it's actually better for, um, for uh, the state, too, because it, you know, the competitive marketplace is what drives better tax revenues. So it's, it, it's a win-win. It's simply as simple as that, really. Absolutely. I, I know we, you mentioned uh, the way that different states have gone about getting this uh, legislation enacted, um, what Rhode Island's done, New York, New Jersey. If you could dictate your ideal sports betting legislation, what does that look like? And one thing I, I'm hoping you'll talk about it is the importance, possibly, of having that mobile uh, and web component of it and not just simply a brick-and-mortar operation. Yeah, well, well, just covering the online first, because that's actually, uh, you know, really important to everybody. And uh, let's try and forget COVID and go back to, um, let's say, February last year. So let's go back literally 12 months and say, you know, back then, what we were all expecting was that the mature online market for sports betting to be 75 to 80%. And that's just based on experience worldwide from much more mature markets. In, if anything, in America, the, the problem, uh, sorry, not the problem, but the, uh, uh, you know, the figures are slightly higher. There's, you know, more people betting digitally. And they may be betting digitally while sitting in a bar or a restaurant, but, you know, they're betting on their phones. But that's just the nature of the world these days. We're all doing so much more. Um, now, what, what we believe is that you can have a, an all-encompassing market that offers people the ability to bet in a venue in a bricks and mortar location whilst also doing it online. You, you kind of need both for a, a comprehensive market that keeps out the illegal operators. Because as everybody knows, um, you know, the illegal operators, because they're not paying any taxes, you know, uh, they're not, they're not regu regulated in any way. There's no licensing costs. There's no regulation costs. There's no ability to uh, complain if you have a problem. There's no ability to monitor if, you're, if, you, have, if you want to exclude yourself. So they, that means that because they have no costs, they can offer better prices. And, and another, I, I just remember that one of the things I like to say when we're talking about, um, you know, online versus offline, let's just imagine Blockbuster versus Netflix. It's literally, that's the argument. You, you, you need both. Agreed there. I've got a question based on your experience and what you guys are currently running, you know, with the OTB, Bobby V's, the My Winners app that you have, if sports betting is legalized and, and they say, Ted, you guys are good to go, you're an operator now, how long would it take to get things up and running where, where you'd be able to take bets on sporting events? It's about three months, okay? So, you know, give or take. And um, 
there's, there's a couple of other points around that. You know, there's a, there's a big chunk of investment in technology, equipment, people training. Um, so the minute somebody is given a go uh, by the government, then what they will do is say, okay, now I can order the things that cost all the money. Um, I obviously don't want to order them until I think that I'm going to be or I'm clear that I'm going to be a provider. Um, and that's that's the first point. There's another there's another aspect, and that's um, it's likely. Well, sorry, it is going to be easier online uh, because you're not doing the same purchasing of equipment. You're almost uh, you know running another online platform. However, um, probably the longest lead time is likely going to be the the state uh, developing and uh, testing its regulations. And, um, and just making sure that it's done in the way that the state needs it to be done. It, um, you know, they've got to they've got to see the system. They've got to make sure all the people involved in the system are, are vetted and licensed. Um, then we do a you know we would do a testing of the system. We do a soft launch, and then finally, that's those systems online and offline would be uh, you know approved to go live. Um, it's quite a long, complex process, but. Not everybody realizes the depth of, um, uh, what's the word, uh, effort that goes into making sure this is done in accordance with uh, the laws. Yeah, absolutely. A, a very involved process there, it seems. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this question. I, I've done this podcast for almost three years now, and I've had legislators on a few times to talk sports betting. And every time I, I speak to them, they always say, this is the year, this is the session that we're getting sports betting done. It's going to be included it seems like we're starting to get some buzz again about it getting done this year. Do you think this is finally the year that sports betting becomes legal here in Connecticut? Yeah, I, I do. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, there's been a lot more talk about it. I, I kind of have to look like most people at last year and say that, um, you know, 2020 was, uh, was an odd year when it comes to the ability to deliver things via the legislature. You know, everybody's concentrating on keeping, uh, you know, vulnerable people, older people alive. That was quite rightly the priority. But, you know, now uh, we're in a position where everybody knows it's happening already. Um, but there has been much more um, conversation around uh, getting it done this year from a, from a wider variety of uh, legislators and commentators. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm like everybody else, uh, but I, I hope we can get it done this year. There's a lot more talk about it, and um, you know, we, we hope to hear soon. Absolutely. Ted, I really appreciate the time again. Ted Taylor of Sportech, uh, thanks for coming on to talk about this process. Uh, really exciting developments, and uh, hopefully we'll be hearing some positive news on this front relatively soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks very much, Jared. Great to speak to you. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Kotler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.